0: Invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs twenty eight, verse twenty one. Proverbs twenty eight, twenty one. To have respect of persons is not good for for a piece of bread that man will transgress <clears throat> why are you partial to certain people note that i did not ask if you were partial to certain people but rather assumed that you are partial to certain people, for we all, in some sense, show partiality, and I would add that we necessarily and rightly do show partiality at times. I show partiality, in some sense of that word, to my wife over other women in the way that I love her. I show a kind of partiality to my children in the way that I care for them over other children. I show partiality to members of this church in the degree of fellowship that I have with them. I show partiality to the triune God in the way I trust Him, and in the way I love Him, and in the way I serve Him over any other God. Furthermore, I would Submit to you that it is indeed a grievous sin on our part not to make a distinction between a liar and a faithful witness on the pretense that we cannot show partiality or make a difference between an idolater and a faithful worshiper of the one true living God. In other words, it is lawful to treat people differently based on their relationship to you, or based upon the relationship to Christ and his truth. There is a lawful place in the sense in which I have just mentioned of making a distinction and treating people differently. I would again submit that that's not sin in that sense. It's not wrong. In fact, it is morally required if we would serve and worship the Lord God faithfully. For we are to show our approval of that which is righteous and our disapproval of that which is wicked. We must show a partiality to those who are godly over those who are ungodly in the sense in which I have just mentioned Otherwise, we would find ourselves in the absurd and wicked position of rejoicing, not only in the truth, but in rejoicing in wickedness and ungodliness as well. Rejoicing in error. And rejoicing not only in those who embrace the truth, but in those who reject the truth. On the on the assumption that we're to treat all people in exactly the same way. The Apostle Paul, speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sets matters straight when he says that the love of God within us, according to 1 Corinthians thirteen six, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Rejoiceth in the truth. So we see, dear ones, we are to show partiality in this particular sense to truth over error and to righteousness over wickedness. There is, however, a partiality which is an abomination to the Lord, as we shall see. This Lord's Day, we will be considering the evil of partiality more closely as we do study this proverb, proverbs. 28 verse 21 so let us consider together the following two main points from our text first of all partiality is condemned and second of all partiality has a price first main point partiality is condemned here in proverbs 20:21 20, when it says to have respect of persons is not good Literally, Solomon says in the Hebrew text, to regard faces is not good. That is, to regard the mere outward appearance of a person and to form judgments merely upon mere outward circumstances, not upon the basis of righteousness and truth, is not good. Well, first, Let me ask, what is God, through Solomon, not condemning in this verse? As I already alluded to in the introduction, God is not condemning a particular love which we have for family members over non-family members, as as earlier noted. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5.8, we read, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's not to deny that we're to do good to to those who are outside the household of faith, but we're especially to do those, Paul says, to those who are within the household of faith. Secondly, the Lord doesn't condemn as partiality uh, our preferential joy for those thoughts, words, and actions in the lives of of people that are holy over those which are evil as we've already alluded to so what is being condemned here in proverbs 28 21 well first of all god is condemning all partiality wherein we disregard the truth or wherein we ignore or neglect the commandments of the lord in order to give ...preference to the face or outward appearance of a person. Whenever who a person is because he is important to us due to this particular relationship... ...and we disregard the truth because of that relationship... ...we disregard righteousness because of that relationship... ...or the advantage that that can bring to us if we show them preferential treatment we have shown an ungodly and sinful partiality. You see, this type of partiality that is condemned has to do with rejecting or not factoring in the law of God, the commandments of God, righteousness and truth. Disregarding that and simply looking at people merely and only upon outward circumstances or what they can do to benefit you. There, when one, sinful partiality takes our eyes off of God's law as the righteous standard for our thoughts, words, and deeds, and places our eyes merely upon the relationships that we have with others, upon the status of others, or upon the approval of others, or upon, as I said, the advantage and benefits that we will gain from others. Sinful partiality is to make decisions on the basis of the face. It's countenancing the face, the mere face of others, rather than looking to God's truth as revealed in his holy commandments. Let's consider various illustrations of uh, sinful partiality so that we can better understand what the sinful partiality is condemned here is. When judges, whether they be ecclesiastical or civil judges, when judges disregard the law of God and look rather to the standards established by man or look to the esteem and applause that they will receive from man or some advantage that they will receive, they have exhibited a sinful partiality. For example, to disregard the first and second commandments and rather to prefer false religion and idolatry within this nation is a sinful partiality. To disregard the fourth commandment and rather to prefer Sabbath-breaking within this nation is sinful partiality. To disregard the sixth commandment and rather to prefer abortion Within this nation is a sinful partiality. To disregard the seventh commandment and rather to prefer adultery or laws that are based upon and, and promote or protect these particular uh, sins and crimes that prefer adultery, incest, pornography, or sodomy is sinful partiality. Showing partiality is first used in the context of of a court, whether it, again, be an ecclesiastical court or whether it be a civil court. That's where, again, we see predominantly the idea of showing partiality uh, and countenancing the face of others by way of judgments that are rendered and showing partiality by way of perhaps bribes and gifts that are uh, bestowed upon the judges. Favors that are shown to the judges, relationships shown to the judges. So it it has in view, first and foremost, again, court types of situations. See, every time a court rules uh, in favor of that which is wicked, he doesn't take, uh, a judge does not take a neutral position. Uh, He rules against. God's law. Anytime he does not rule in favor of God's law, even if he thinks he's taking a neutral position by simply being very tolerant of all positions, of all creeds, he's not taking a neutral position because, again, the word of God says, with regard to every human being, even civil magistrates, thou shalt have no other gods before me. There is no neutrality. And so it is showing partiality for judges to protect that which God condemns. It's a sinful partiality. Judges and courts either rule on behalf of God and for God or against God. No neutral position. Judges either show partiality to that which is lawless or a good partiality to that which is lawful by enacting what God has stated in his word. Consider the following verse in this regard, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 16 and
1: 17.
0: Deuteronomy 1, verses 16 and 17, where we read, the charge of Moses to the judges uh, just before Israel entered into the promised land. And I charged your judges at that time saying, hear the causes between your brethren and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's. And the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. You'll recall that judges ruled by a sinful partiality in condemning Naboth In 1 Kings 21, whose vineyard King Ahab coveted and brought false charges of blasphemy against a righteous man, namely Naboth, in order to secure his vineyard. And that was out of mere favor to the king. Or the simple partiality shown in condemning Christ to court the favor of the Jews or because they were afraid of Christ and they wanted the favor of the people a sinful partiality or the sinful partiality in condemning the apostles likewise to court the favor of the people to uphold their own status they didn't want competition they didn't want to hear the the truth they plug their ears up to the truth because it could affect their status, uh, their uh, authority within the kingdom. They ruled, these judges rule for political expediency. And the advantages that would they would rather gain than if they were to rule, they thought, according to righteousness and the truth of Christ. Likewise, Jerins, when politicians today seek to win an office or to hold an office based upon popular opinion polls or upon special interest groups who contribute money to their campaigns or wield much influence over voters or make promises that they do not intend to keep and do not keep, rather than standing fearlessly. For the truth of Jesus Christ, they are condemned here likewise by God for showing sinful partiality and doing what is evil for the sake of political advantage. Another example, when church officers make decisions on the basis of what will keep the people coming into the church, that will fill the church full with numbers and will please the people and will keep the people giving and giving and giving more for their building programs, etc., etc. Rather than on the basis of what is agreeable to the word of God, they show likewise a sinful partiality. One of the sinful abuses in the Romanist and Episcopal systems, of church government that was condemned by our Presbyterian forefathers, was the tendency to move One up in the clerical order, up the ladder, based upon special favors that that person would bestow upon the bishop. uh, Or for those who were uh, in the hierarchy, rather than upon biblical qualifications that are found in the scripture. You do something for me, and I'll do something for you. You scratch my back, and I'll scratch yours. That sinful partiality. The false prophets and prophetesses in Ezekiel 13.19 says told lies. And they told them in the name of God. In the name of God. Use God's name even to tell these lies. In order to have a more comfortable life. To have it easier. To avoid persecution. To avoid hardship and trial and affliction that would no doubt have come from standing for the truth. It's not popular in any age to take a stand for truth and righteousness. Ministers and elders oftentimes turn to entertainment and showmanship in their worship services and blasphemously do so in the name of God in order to have the applause of people, the material benefits and comforts that come from a large church, and the prestige and honor that come from the approval of man. However, as Christ told the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 6, the Pharisees who gave to the poor prayed on street corners and fasted in order to be seen by men, in order to be seen by men, the Lord said to them, They have the reward. Don't expect further reward for those acts in heaven. And so, likewise, the Lord says to us all, ministers and members alike, that when we perform our spiritual acts of worship and service to God and to one another for the approval of others, don't expect. To be rewarded for that in heaven. We have our reward upon the earth. Dear ones, this is a sinful partiality. For we do so because of what others will do for us. Rather than doing it to bring glory and honor to our Savior. Another example, when fellow employees at work ask you to turn your head and look the other way while they steal and rob from their employer, whether it be adding hours uh, to uh, their um, hour list there, their hour card, or whether it be to take materials uh, from the workplace, take them home from the job, You then are placed in a position, if you know about it, if you've observed it, witnessed it, you're placed in a position as to whether you will show sinful partiality to the wicked. Will you simply let it slide when this type of theft against your employer occurs? will you show sinful partiality or will you rather use truth and righteousness as your standard in that regard or when you take advantage of a client not performing what you said you would do you too fall into the sin of partiality for partiality dear ones listen closely partiality is using people to your own advantage rather than serving people to the glory of God. Using people to your own advantage, rather than serving them to the glory of God. i had mentioned earlier that there is a sense in which we ought to have a lawful partiality toward our family members in loving and caring for them in a way that we do not love and care for those outside our family. However, it is not a lawful partiality, but an unlawful partiality when we disregard the law of God in overlooking conspicuous sins in our family members' lives, those who are close to us. Or even in justifying justifying their sins because they are family, because they're close friends justifying their sins. That's a sinful partiality as well. Dear ones, we cannot lie to others by way, and that's what we do. We lie to others when we, in effect, approve of their sin by passing it over. We're telling a lie. Now, it may not be in the most conspicuous way in which we tell lies, but silence in a just cause is a sinful partiality. Silence. Not only speaking, but silence in a just cause is sinful partiality as well. That is not Dear One's love. That's not love for a family member. But rather, I would submit, that's worship of a family member. That's placing them before God. When God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other loves before me. It is in effect, was to make a family member, in, when we show sinful partiality, it is in effect to make them the Lord our God. That is a sinful partiality. Another illustration of sinful partiality. Address this to the young people. To the children. Listen closely. When you young people cave in to the pressure of friends to do that which is evil, and contrary to the revealed will of God that's found in the Bible... So that you, for the purpose of fitting in with them, so as to be cool or so as to be liked or so that you might have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you too have shown a sinful partiality for you have regarded the face of man over the face of God. Remember, dear ones, remember what happened. Young people, remember what happened to Samson when he regarded the face of a woman, namely Delilah, over the face of God. He became weak and vulnerable and fell under the heavy chastening of God, which eventually led to his own death. This is where sinful partiality will lead in our lives. It's nothing to be taken lightly. It is a serious matter before God. One last illustration. The sin of showing a regard to the face of people certainly condemns the racial slavery that was once practiced in this nation. And showing prejudice on the basis of either one's race on the basis of one's color, these likewise are ways in which we can show a sinful partiality. Prejudice is sinful partiality. For to hate, to despise, to mistreat, or to enslave a person based merely upon the color of his skin or based merely upon his ethnic background is sinful partiality. It is not, dear ones, the color of one's skin or the ethnic background that is evil, for God Himself has made us to differ. God Himself has made us to differ as to color or ethnic origin. These distinctions are not contrary to the revealed will of God. What, however, is to be despised. In all people, including ourselves, is the corruption and sin of man, regardless of the race, regardless of the ethnic origin. That is to be despised in ourselves and in all men. Thus, when we speak against the sin of sodomy, it is not a sinful prejudice let alone a hate crime that is committed contrary to various legislation that has been passed and is in the process of being passed in particular states and will eventually if it continues in this direction reach its very evil and wicked arm into the church into the pulpit so that Particular sins cannot be preached against, at least legally. That ought not to change what is the calling of any faithful minister. in continuing, regardless of the consequences, to make known what is true and right. For if the minister, on the basis of simply what he may receive as a consequence, being imprisoned, fined, banished, even put to death, changes what God says so that he no longer becomes the messenger of God, so that he no longer is the ambassador of Christ. He shows sinful partiality, favoring and approving, fearing man more than he fears God. To speak against the sin of sodomy is no more a hate crime than to speak against the sin of murder or theft. Do we hate such sins? Yes, absolutely. We hate such sins, whether these sins be found in ourselves or in others. For we cannot love such sins and love God and his righteousness at the same time. What God proclaims to all sinners is not a love for sin, but a forgiveness from sin, repentance, sorrow, and grief over sin through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, having considered God's condemnation of sinful partiality, let us now briefly turn to our second main point. Partiality has a price. Partiality as a price. Turning back to our text in Proverbs 28, 21, we read, for, for a piece of bread that man will transgress. Now that's not a misprint in your Bibles uh, where the word for, F-O-R, is repeated. It's mentioned twice. The first for is used as a, conjun- a conjunction. The second four is used for a preposition. In other words, the translators might have said, because for a piece of bread that man will transgress. Here we see here the consequences of sinful partiality. It leads one to sell his soul in order to gain some advantage for himself or herself. At first, he is only willing to sell his soul for a very high price. But once our souls are, are for sale, dear ones, even if at first it was only for a high price, eventually God says we will be willing to sell our souls at any price, even for a piece of bread. Even for a piece of bread. For our soul eventually becomes no more important to us than what creaturely comforts we may enjoy At the expense of our soul in this life and in the life to come. Christ says our souls are most valuable. And we are fools if we think we can give anything in this life in exchange for them. Jesus said in Mark 8.36 For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The whole world is not enough to pay in exchange for one's own soul. Beware, dear ones, for you know not where your compromises with the truth in showing sinful partiality will eventually lead you. You may not intend to end up at that particular point where you sell your soul out altogether, but what decisions you are making now with regard to the truth, with regard to righteousness, and showing partiality, and not upholding and standing for the truth in any area, and not repenting when you do so, seeking God's forgiveness, because we all fall in these areas. None of us are immune from falling in these areas. But what do we do once we fall? Do we get back up, confessing our sin, acknowledging where we have failed the Lord, seeking his forgiveness or do we continue down that path? Beloved, don't think the selling of the soul can only happen to others who are weak and godless. For Solomon uses a word here in Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-one, when he mentions the word man. Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-one. For For a piece of bread, that man will transgress. He uses a word for man here that comes from the word for strong. In other words, dear ones, it is the strong and powerful man like Samson who will find himself selling his soul for a piece of bread in order to gain some advantage for himself. He's not simply speaking of the weak, and of the vulnerable, of the helpless here, but he's speaking of even one who is strong, who, who, as it were, is mighty, a mighty man, who is susceptible to showing partiality and selling his soul to obtain what he wants. Beloved, don't view yourself as being beyond falling into this pit, that's why we receive the admonition and exhortation that we receive in first Corinthians chapter ten, after the apostle Paul in the previous verses of the first portion of chapter ten, first Corinthians has shown the idolatry and the fornication that the children of Israel fell into. He then says, and the murmuring and the complaining as well, their discontentment. He identifies various sins that were committed by the children of Israel. But then he says in verse 11, 1 Corinthians 10.11, Now all these things happened unto them for in samples. Basically, Paul says, all of these things have that were sins committed by the children of Israel there in the wilderness were ha- happened and occurred and they were recorded in the scripture for you to learn thereby. For you to not follow in their footsteps, but to avoid them. To walk in a different path. He continues in verse 11. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Verse 12 says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. If the children of Israel could fall into these very sins, Paul says, so can you. Don't think yourself so mighty and so strong. Don't be so proud and so puffed up as to think you cannot fall into the same sins. You can. And I can. It can happen to us all. This is a warning, dear ones, against all sinful pride that would boast of being invulnerable to these consequences. And God says, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. In Galatians 6-7. Why is the partiality found in Proverbs twenty eight twenty one condemned by God? Why is it condemned by God? Let me give you just uh, very briefly. Four reasons. First of all, because this partiality is contrary to the holy nature of God Himself, who hates sinful partiality. Such partiality is not a part of His holy character. He is a God who is no respecter of persons in this sense. Second, because this partiality forsakes the truth. The sinful partiality forsakes the truth in order to gain some advantage for oneself. In other words, it's man-centered rather than God-centered. It is selfish rather than selfless. And very often one seeks to justify such partiality in God's name or with such godly motives and intentions. Dear ones, godly motives or having good motives or intentions does not justify sinful partiality. The ends do not justify the means. We shall not. We are not to do evil that good may come. Such partiality is hypocrisy. Thirdly, this partiality is condemned by God because this simple partiality uh, leads one into bondage from which he will not escape without severe consequences, as we've already seen. He'll sell his soul for a piece of bread. Fourth, because this sinful partiality values earthly pleasure, earthly advantage, earthly riches, earthly honor, and earthly comfort more than one's eternal soul. Dear ones, God demonstrates his impartiality. Listen closely. God demonstrates his impartiality in setting his undeserved love upon particular sinners like you and me from all eternity. For God did not choose or elect you nor me, nor call you or me because you or me were more holy, righteous, loving, good, honorable, or upright than the next person. It was not on the basis of who we are merit within ourselves, goodness within ourselves that He set His love upon us. He set his love upon us, the scripture teaches, simply because he loved us. Why he loved us? All we can say was nothing in us. It's not because we were better than the next person that he set his love upon us. It's simply due to his sovereign grace and election. And showing mercy to those who are undeserving and then showing his judgment who do, like ourselves, deserve that judgment. We were all condemned sinners. We were all, dear ones, the chief of sinners before a holy God, and we all deserved his righteous wrath and eternal condemnation in hell. Some of the most beautiful passages of Scripture that encouraged my heart That humble me before the Lord my God. Our passage is like this Mark 2, verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them They that are whole, that is, healthy, have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. No partiality. I came to call all those who hear the gospel to repentance. Likewise, in Romans 4, five, where the Apostle Paul says that God does not justify the godly, he does not declare righteous the godly, but he justifies the ungodly. Romans 4, 5. Likewise, in 1 Timothy 1, verses 15 through 16, Jesus Christ, Paul says, came to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Are you ungodly by nature? Christ offers you his salvation. Are you a sinner by nature? Christ offers you his salvation. Are you even the chief of sinners? Christ offers you his salvation without partiality. You are invited In fact, you are commanded to come to Christ. You have warrant to come to Christ based upon that gospel offer that's made to you from Jesus Christ. Since we are no better, dear ones, by nature than the next person, why do we stick up our noses in the air and act as though we were... But for the grace of God, so go each of us down that same path that we see our neighbors going down. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Dear ones, it is the grace of God that gives us everything that we have in this life by way of prosperity, by way of gifts, by way of graces, by way of relationships, by way of achievements, and by way of health. Everything comes from the Lord. That's why we read in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou didst not receive it? Why do you act as if it's not a gift freely given to you by God? Why do you act so proud and haughty and conceited in what you have when it is not anything you earned or deserved but something that was freely given to you by God? Partiality, prejudice, favoritism, all in their sinful forms flow from pride, flow from pride in thinking so highly of ourselves. Dear ones, this is an abomination to God. This is an abomination to God for it strikes at the very heart of the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace teaches us that Christ has accomplished all for us and purchased all for us and we do not earn, deserve, or merit the least of those blessings. Partiality strikes at the heart of the covenant of grace and places us under the covenant of works wherein we implicitly or explicitly declare we deserve these blessings. We deserve these blessings. By our own works, we deserve them. Finally, dear ones, I want to leave with you again, simply, that gospel invitation that's extended to you That God is no respecter of persons, from the oldest to the youngest, who's here, male or female, Jew or Gentile, law-abiding citizen or criminal, all are sinners, all need Christ, and all without partiality are invited to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, dear ones, remember what is said to us. In Hebrews 2, three, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Here it is. Jesus Christ, with his arms open to each of you, calls you to himself, to enjoy his blessedness, his covenant of grace, his heaven, to escape hell and the miseries of hell for all eternity. And he opens wide that door of invitation to you and invites you to come and to receive by faith, by placing your faith in Christ alone, looking outside of yourself as having nothing to offer him and simply receiving what he offers you. That is his righteousness and his obedience and his forgiveness. And receiving it by faith alone. How shall we neglect if we neglect so great a salvation? Children and young people, remember that in your baptism, God has made you promises. Adults, parents, in your baptism, God has made you promises promises of salvation which you must receive by faith alone. Do not neglect so great a salvation. Do not show a sinful partiality in rejecting what is offered to you freely today through Christ our Savior. Amen. Let us stand together in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we do declare that we are all guilty of sinful partiality and prejudice and favoritism. And do ask our Father that Thou would show to us in the many ways, even as the word has been preached today, Lord God, convict us. Show us, our Father, how we have offended Thee, how we have offended our neighbor, How we have thought so highly of ourselves in our pride and arrogance and sought our own advantage and been willing, O God, to sell out our souls in order to have what we seek. Father, we pray that Thou would humble us today before Thee, that we would tremble before Thy Word as Thy people. That we would have a holy boldness, O God, to come now as thy children, adopted by faith in Jesus Christ into thy family, and to lay hold of thy promises by faith. We ask our Lord and our God that thou would give to us uh, righteous judgment. Give to us, O God, a righteous impartiality. Give to us, O God, a grace that we would not compromise Thy commandments, not for the sake of family, not for the sake of friends, not for the sake of status, not for the sake of position. We pray, Our Father, that we would be willing to deny ourselves take up our crosses and follow thee wherever thou would lead us father this is the effect that the gospel has in the lives of those who have embraced that gospel even though the road that we walk in this life is filled with heartache and pain though the road that we walk is filled with rejection and humiliation. Before we can reign with Thee, Thou hast taught us we must, O Lord, suffer with Thee. So we do, Lord, take upon ourselves even the sufferings of our Savior to walk in His footsteps that, Lord, indeed, we may reign with Thee forever and ever. And when, Father, we stand before Thee, Glorified before Thee, we will have no regrets at all that we've had to sacrifice in this life, all that we've had to give up in this life in order to follow Thee. Lord, that is our comfort and our joy even now. We ask our Father, encourage our hearts today. For Father, Thou hast taught us that thou, that we are not to fear man. For thou art our God, and thou art with us. We ask for these things to Christ our Savior. Amen. Please be seated.
1: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need.